Hello, on today's episode of He Has a Bird, I talk about NFL offseason, NFL free agency, and who I think has done a good job of setting themselves up for success in the future, and who I think have not done a very good job of that. There will not be a podcast tomorrow. I hope you guys don't go through withdraw, uh, but I think six days a week is, is not bad. And I'll be back on Monday with another great episode for you guys. But until then, enjoy this one. That kind of talent can't be taught. Thomas Peacom and the Foosball God. Thomas Peacom and the Foosball God. Welcome to the podcast, He Has a Bird, with Sean Shelton. Hello, servus, grüß euch. Welcome to the podcast, He Has a Bird. I am your host, Sean Shelton. Yeah, a little Saturday episode coming for you guys. We're going to talk about NFL offseason. And now that it's slowed down in the past week, I want to talk about who I think has done a good job setting themselves up for success in the future. And we're going to start with some good news coming out at the end of last week. And the NFL draft will continue as scheduled. The NFL GMs are not happy about it. They don't think they can do the normal screening and testing and evaluation that they normally get to do, um, which is extremely important to them, not only uh, intelligence tests, but character tests and further evaluation from the combine and pro days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the NFL said, nope, too much money to be made. Uh, nothing's going on. So we can dominate the headlines, which they have been doing. The only thing coming out of the um, the NBA is more and more people are getting coronavirus. And the only thing coming out of baseball is basically nothing. Now that nobody talks about Houston cheating anymore, there's more important things in the world, like a pandemic. So the business side of the NFL said, no, figure it out, GMs. You guys make millions of dollars to figure it out. Do it. And I'm actually happy that they did. Super happy, actually. The NFL Draft is something I very much enjoy watching every single year, mainly because even before fantasy football, now mainly because of fantasy football, but even before, the NFL Draft always fascinated, always loved watching it, even as a kid, when it started getting bigger and Mel Kuyper and Todd, well, Mel Kuyper, then Todd McShay did the analysis. I think the whole process is super fascinating. And a world that not a lot of people get to live in and I think would be very interesting to live in and probably stressful as well. I can't imagine if anybody's seen the movie Draft Day, I can't imagine it's like that. I think that was probably not super accurate. But the process of evaluating people and drafting them to your team and with a single decision changing an individual's lives, I think is super cool. So I enjoy watching it. And I'm glad it's going on on the the scheduled date, which I should have looked up beforehand. But now I'll look up now and I'm just going to talk slow to stall because I have slow Internet in the back of the apartment where I've been confined to work slash do this podcast and now the internet is not working. So I'll come back to that. But it's going on on its normal date. I'm super happy. End of April. If I don't know the exact date. But that's going to be great content. It's going to be great to watch. I'm glad they break it up into three days. At least it's something. I've heard um, 
uh, people suggest that they make a pick a day starting in April, which would be hilarious as well. At least for the first round, just everybody has one pick all day through May. And it's like every day at 5 p.m. So then you get all evening to talk about it. And then the next morning to predict, to recap the prior pick and predict the next pick. Uh, that would also be electric, but they're not going to do that, unfortunately. But I think all of us can celebrate the fact that at the end of April, we have a sporting-ish event to talk about. Moving on to free agency, uh, now that it's kind of slowed down through this past week, I kind of want to talk about uh, who I think winners, the winners and losers of not just free agency, but the offseason to this point. Um, and there, I think already there are significant winners and I think there's significant losers. Now that all can change via the draft, but up until this point, there's teams that have significantly helped themselves and teams that have not. Starting with the obvious, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think not knowing what to do with Jameis, that problem couldn't have been solved any better than having a short-term plug of a quarterback, like a bridge quarterback, who happens to just be the best of all time. Um, it could not have worked out any better. The GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is so lucky. So lucky. Because... Instead of franchising Jameis and trying to figure out if they draft a quarterback or move up in the draft to get one of these elite guys or not even re-sign them or whatever, they just happen to have Tom Brady fall on their laps. And the reason he picked them is because they're on the East Coast. Between him, they, it was them and, and the Chargers. He had two, they had one person to beat and they won geographically. Lucky for those guys. But Obviously, a significant improvement from Jameis from a football standpoint, not from a fantasy standpoint, but from a football standpoint. <clears throat> Excuse me. They also re-signed Nadam Kinsu in the middle. So between Sue and uh, Vita Vea, they have the interior D-line that was or led the number one run defense in the NFL, which is obviously... Obviously a huge deal, especially when you add Tom Brady, who's somebody's not going to turn the ball over. Um, so play, play smart offense with a lot of weapons and stop the run. It's going to be, I think, especially with um, the defensive coordinator that I brought in, he was the head coach of the New York Jets, whose name's slipping me. Um, he's a very, very, very established defensive coordinator. So, Tampa Bay might be a sneaky team to win some games. They're in a tough conference, or division rather. But that's adding those two pieces are huge for them. They also signed an offensive lineman from, from Indianapolis. And they are rumors to talk about signing Antonio Brown. If they do, obviously that comes with the baggage of Antonio Brown. But then you're talking about a receiving core of Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown with the tight end core of uh, O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray, and they're probably going to draft a running back. I would imagine somebody in the realm of, you know, a James White wannabe. And they can get one in the second through fourth round, guaranteed. And then they have their mistake draft pick, Ronald Jones, uh, Peyton Barber left, which is okay because he was never really the pass receiving running back either. 
And so you have Ronald Jones running in between the tackle, and I imagine they couple him with a receiving running back similar to James White. And you're sitting there like, poof. The offensive line wasn't terrible last year. It wasn't great. Actually, they were pretty bad. So that might be something they address in the draft as well. But they have the 14th overall pick, so they can still grab a very, very capable football player in the middle first round. And they have their, their second and, and third round picks as well. So I think Tampa Bay is in a great spot. And did the, the, the situation at quarterback couldn't have worked out perfectly for them. I also have the Colts, not only because they signed Phillip Rivers, but also they were another team in a miserable quarterback scenario, and they had a bona fide veteran fall into their lap. I mean, I really i am a fan of the Colts. I've been a fan of the Colts since Peyton Manning, but I'm a fan of the Colts now because I, I liked Andrew Luck, but I like what their GM, Chris Ballard, is doing. They're not hiring Super Bowls. They're not overspending for people. They constantly have one of the highest cap rooms uh, in the NFL, but they're drafting so smart. And when those players become for the second contract, ready for the second contract, they're going to have the money to pay them. So uh, Quentin Nelson at left guard, you know, Leonard, who I've talked about on the podcast before, they're going to be able to pay these guys and keep their core players and build a culture, which a lot of times, like the guy they traded for, DeForest Buckner, he drafted. He was drafted seventh overall for the 49ers, but because of what they've done, and they're a compete now mode, but they've spent money, they can't re-sign him to a second pick, or to a second contract, rather. So they had to trade him. And so that was another acquisition. So they signed Phillip Rivers. They traded for an, a Pro Bowl caliber interior lineman, which, which was the biggest need of the team because they could not stop the run at times last year which he's going to help immensely. They paid a price for it, but it was the 13th overall pick is what they traded for him. But they have the money to, to extend him, which they did. They paid him, which is not normal for Chris Ballard. But also, you're not going to find a NFL caliber interior D lineman in this draft at the 13th pick. So it was a win-win scenario for both teams. The 49ers got a 13th overall pick for a guy that they couldn't re-sign anyways. And the Colts filled a huge need with a Pro Bowl caliber player for and had the money to be able to pay him. So that's what an NFL trade should be. Take notes, Bill O'Brien. I'll get to his ass later. They also, they also signed a uh, Pro Bowl caliber corner in Xavier Rhodes for one year. So they have these bona fide veterans in Rivers and Rhodes that they have on short-term contracts, and they traded for a Pro Bowl caliber interior lineman, which was a huge need for them. And they they don't have a first-round pick, obviously, because they traded for Buckner, but they have two early picks in the second round, which they can. There's plenty of offensive skill in this draft, so they can still get a a very good receiver. Probably wait on a running back. I imagine they draft another one uh, to complement with Marlon Mack because he's beat up. But they. A need for them is receiver, and they're still able to get one, and maybe two in the second round or second and third round. So they're 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 in really good shape, and I really like that trade, and I like the moves that they've made this offseason thus far. And then the third one is the the New Orleans Saints. You know they haven't done anything super sexy, but keeping Drew Brees and DJ Schwaringer were huge moves for them, 
And also they signed two veterans in Malcolm Jenkins and Emmanuel Sanders that that are huge needs for them. Receiver number two has always been a need for them and the to a guy who can who can um to play opposite of Michael Thomas. That's that was a huge get for them. And Mike Malcolm Jenkins, not only from a leadership standpoint, but just still from a play standpoint, a very, very, very capable player. And they signed veterans on short term deals in corresponding with their short championship window. Because their championship window is Drew Brees. When Drew Brees decides to retire, their championship window's over. So they only have one or two more years. So sign guys who are ready to win championships now for one or two years. And then when Drew Brees retired, you're not committed to these guys. I think that's very, very intelligent um, moves that they've made. And they haven't lost anybody of significance. Eli Apple, they lost, but they got a third-round compensatory pick for him uh, because he was... Um, on the last year of his contract. And so they still have pick 25. Maybe they can fill a void there and some third and fourth round picks in a deep draft class in the skill players. So I like what they're doing. Some some honorable mentions that I noticed, just looking through the you know the free agency tracker, I think the Jets have done a nice job secretly. They, lo- they lose Robbie Anderson, but they didn't want to o- overpay for him, which I think the Panthers did uh, at $10 million a year. Um. They signed multiple offensive linemen, which was a huge need for them. And then they have pick 11. They have a, their pick in the second round and two third rounders. So they can also, again, offensive skill, especially at the receiver position, is very deep. They're going to be able to pick up competent football players um, in, the, in the second and third round to play at offensive skill players. Obviously, running back is taken care of with Bell. Their defense actually played really well at times when C.J. Mosley was helpful. Uh, excuse me, healthy. You just have to get Sam Donald some help. And Crowder was a big get last year, and now they have to draft an outside receiver, which they will, and he'll be good. <clears throat> and hopefully get Chris Herndon healthy. Um, the Ravens uh, made a lot of nice moves signing veterans on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Jimmy Smith, they traded for um, uh, a defensive lineman. So they're still, the defensive backfield is loaded with NFL veterans. And that's this notion that play great defense and run the football. They're just piling on and have better personnel to be able to do so. They also have uh, five draft picks in the first three rounds. So <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be in good shape. Um, they traded Hayden Hurst, but they still have Mark Andrews. And obviously with the young receivers on the outside, they're going to be in really good shape. And their championship window, I think, is just opening. Uh, they're going to need some younger talent on defense, but from an offensive standpoint, as long as they get a running back who can do what Mark uh, Ingram does um, in the future, they're going to be in good shape as well. And obviously, I think Arizona's on this list purely because of the trade. I mean, they got an elite wide receiver so and got rid of a contract that they don't like in David Johnson in a single trade and only gave up the biggest asset they gave up was a second-round pick. So I'm sure they couldn't be happier with acquiring an elite receiver and also having the eighth pick overall to get another elite talent, which the mock draft that I'm looking at now has them projected to pick up the offensive tackle from Alabama, which would be obviously huge for them since their offensive skill players uh, are pretty much um, fortified with young players like Christian Kirk and and also NFL veterans like Leigh Fitzgerald, Kenyon Drake, and now 
DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, so those are kind of the guys that I think they've set themselves up really well in the first few weeks of free agency, and we'll see what happens in the draft. But I think people that have not set themselves up very well are, are starting with the Patriots. Um, not only did they lose the best quarterback of all time, which if they had a, I was more, it would be more understandable if they had a guy in line like a Jimmy Garoppolo a few years ago. Um, and it would be a, a quasi, you know, Peyton Manning scenario. Obviously, Jimmy G is not Andrew Luck, but at least it would make somewhat sense, right? But now they lose the best quarterback of all time with with Brady Hoyer in the, you know, and and no 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 draft capital to be able to move up and get one of these elite guys um, with the twenty third overall pick, no seconds and two thirds. So you're not going to pick up one of these three highly touted um, rookie quarterbacks. But they also lose some staples of their of their defense, veterans. You know, uh, uh, Van Noy leaves to go to uh, Miami, and Jamie Collins leaves to go to Detroit, both of whom have head coaches that used to coach for Belichick. So, I mean, Belichick is known for replacing those guys with no names, and then they become names and go get paid. That happens. But... Still, when you go through the first three weeks of free agency and you lose two veterans from your defense and the best quarterback at all time and not really replace them with anybody of note, I think there's probably better ways to spend the first few weeks of free agency. Number two is also an obvious, uh, the Texans. Bill O'Brien fucked up. He traded away Hopkins, which I've talked about at length, but also he overpaid for Randall Cobb. So he traded a elite receiver with 12 to 13 million dollars non-guaranteed contract a way to keep a a receiver with a 10 million dollar contract a receiver with a 7 million dollar contract and now paid a slot receiver which they already have 9 million dollars and none of them can even be close to replacement of a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and now you pissed off your franchise quarterback so you're doing a great job, Bill O'Brien, whom is coming on the last year of his contract and can just walk away. He doesn't have to resign. And there's even rumors that he might be going to the Patriots. Probably not. But yeah, you're not, not a great way to start your offseason when you, when you lose an elite receiver and piss off your franchise quarterback and overpay for a slot receiver and have no picks. They have no first-round picks. They have two seconds now and a third. So super, Bill O'Brien. Good for you. Lastly, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. They had one of the best up-and-coming tight ends in the league walk away because they couldn't pay him. Again, another situation where you draft a guy, he succeeds, and then you can't afford his second contract because of franchise decisions that you've made previously. Um, Then kind of two veterans of the defense they let walk, Vic Beasley and Marcus Trufant. Vic Beasley's kind of replaced with Deontay Fowler, which I think is a good, but they paid him. They really paid him double-digit million dollars a year. Um, and then their only other two notable acquisitions are Laquan, Laquan Treadwell, who's a, a first-rounder who's never panned out for the Vikings, never been more than a spot contributor. And then they signed Todd Gurley, who has significant knee damage for $6 million for one year. So... Interesting note about the Falcons, every single player on their offense, every single projected starter was drafted in the first round. 
So that's gotta that's gotta mean they're gonna be good, right? Right? They also acquired Hayden Hurst, which I think is a good trade, who was also drafted in the first round, although wasn't projected to be drafted in the first round. So yeah, I guess I guess they're they're gonna be good because they have a bunch of first rounders. We'll see. Doubtful. Doubtful. And they have the sixteenth pick. And they have the the equivalent in the second round and the third round, so we'll see what they do. But letting a guy like Austin Hooper walk away and having to cut Devontae Freeman because of a bad contract that you gave out earlier um, is not really the best way to start your your free agency or your offseason. That's why Rams are also on this list. Having to cut a running back that you paid because it didn't pan out is not a great way. And then you have to eat dead money. You also have to release a... A veteran outside linebacker and Clay Matthews <clears throat> because you also overpaid him. So not the best way. They also don't have a first round pick. So they're an honorable mention for a loser. And the Panthers, I think, as well. Not that I dislike the moves that they made. I don't dislike Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know if I would have done it and released Cam Newton, by the way, who looks like an absolute monster. If anybody saw that video on ESPN, they gave up on me. All I know is hard work. That dude is a freaking animal. He was just doing some like tricep extensions with no shirt on, and he looked like a young Sean Shelton. So good for him. But, you know, losing a former MVP and a former defensive player of the year in Luke Keekley, not not the best way to start your offseason. And then acquisitions on the offensive side of the ball, at least, uh, besides Teddy Bridgewater, three, we'll see receivers, mainly or most notably Robbie Anderson. So that's kind of the things that I found interesting in free agency, looking back on who, who set themselves up for um, going into the draft with momentum and who really need a good draft to kind of salvage this offseason thus far. And like I like to talked about in early episodes, I view everything that happens in the NFL through the lens of fantasy. So there's several uh, fantasy-related off-season moves that I think are relevant for fantasy football, and I'm just going to go through them super fast. Um, we won't know how relevant they actually are until after the draft and who gets drafted to these teams and what kind of scenario you get a final picture, and then we'll talk about that uh, after the draft. But for now, just some quick hitters. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins going to... The Cardinals, I don't think, changes his fantasy value at all. I don't think it'll change his production. I think he's system-proof. I think he's quarterback-proof, one of these rare elite receivers that he's going to get his no matter what offense he's in. Obviously, it can be better. Obviously, it can be worse. But he went through some terrible quarterbacks and terrible situations uh, for Houston before DeAndre Hopkins or before Deshaun Watson and always produced. So I'm not worried about him at all, and I think it's a huge get, and he might even flourish uh, in Arizona with a young quarterback and bona fide or up-and-coming receivers around him, which he never really had at Houston because Will Fuller was always hurt. Uh, I think Emmanuel Sanders will be a great grab. You know, if you're, if you're, I always look at it through dynasty fantasy football, so you keep your roster every single year. So if you're a championship contender, that's somebody I would look to grab. Or if you're playing year by year, you know, redraft leagues, he's a late round get that he could be a very solid receiver two, receiver three, which are very important for you 
and building a team to have depth. Um, but he, he has a chance to be very productive in, in regards to a 33-year-old receiver um, in New, New Orleans. So I think, I think it was a great move for him and a great move for fantasy football owners who have him. Uh, Austin Hooper, it'll be very interesting. It'll be very interesting. You know, in Cleveland, a lot of people were always talking about um, David and Joku and how the offense is set up for him and how he's just waiting to break out. And I think everything can be a, that's said about Njoku could be implied to Hooper. Just Hooper is a significantly better football player. You know, uh, Mayfield's not proven to throw into the tight ends, but he hasn't uh, neglected them either. Cleveland's always had, um, Njoku's always been fantasy relevant at least, uh, but they haven't had a lot of talent at that position. Now they do. It'd be very interesting to see because Austin Hooper is a really, really good football player. Uh, Diggs, Stefan Diggs, uh, going to Buffalo, I think is a great fit. I think it's a great fit. He has a chance to keep his production, if not improve it, because he won't be sharing targets with uh, Adam Thielen. They have John Brown. They'll probably draft a guy, Cole Beasley, in the slot. They have uh, Knox as an up-and-coming tight end, but not established. So he's going to get his targets. Potentially, I think at minimum 8-plus, potentially 10-plus a game. He can get down the field. We all know uh, Josh Allen can throw the ball down the field. I think it's a really good fit, and he has the potential to be a target monster, which is exactly what you're looking for in receivers in fantasy football. Uh, then some not-so-obvious ones. Uh, the Steelers signing Eric Ebron, I think, is, I think is very, very interesting for Eric Ebron's uh, stock and, and Ben Roethlisberger's stock. Eric Ebron has shown... For the Colts, he's a very effective receiving tight end, a huge target, but also can stretch the field. Um, Pittsburgh's always had productive tight ends, even until lately they've been off and on, but they've always valued the tight end. They traded for Vance McDonald. They made another trade for a tight end, Nick Vanette, last year. And so now they finally got a guy on a good contract, good for them, good signing, but can be that guy that stretches the field and, and, and just works the middle of the field for Ben Roethlisberger, and he's proven that he likes to throw to tight ends. So I think that's a really good, really good for Eric Ebron's stock. And I also think it's very good for Jack Doyle's stock. You know, he doesn't have to split those targets at tight end. They have uh, Mo Alley-Cox, who's a gigantic human being and also fast. But I think Jack Doyle being paired with uh, Philip Rivers, who we know loves the throw to tight ends, uh, Antonio Gates' entire career, and um, Hunter Henry towards the end of it, I think Jack Doyle is in a really good sneaky scenario to have a very productive year at tight end, which is hard is a position that's hard to come by people that produce on a game in a game out basis. Speaking of tight ends, I think OJ Howard probably couldn't be any happier. He went from being a promising tight end to a disappearing act last year with Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians notorious, notoriously doesn't like or doesn't have productive tight ends. Uh, why they kept them, I have no idea because they, could have got draft capital out of him or for him. But now that they have Tom Brady, who obviously loves throwing to the tight ends, um, I'm sure O.J. Howard could not be happier. It's like, finally. And not to mention Cameron Brait behind him, too. He's still going to share targets, but his production will can only go up, especially adding Tom Brady. Uh, the Tampa Bay receivers will be interesting to, to – 
to talk about, especially after the draft or after maybe signing Antonio Bryant. Still early to talk about them, but I think Chris Godwin's stock continues to go up. But, you know, I'm not so sure about Mike Evans. Tom Brady always needs that big guy to stretch the field, but that big guy who stretched the field later in Tom Brady's career only maybe got five or six targets a game. You know, you look at everybody was super excited when Josh Gordon came back and played for New England, and he had his games, but he was three, four catches, maybe five catches a game. Where with with Winston, it was weird when Evans didn't get eight targets. You know, he was he was more that... Between him and Godwin, there was significant targets to go around. Now I don't think that will be the case. I don't know. I think his targets will go down and he'll have to make the most of them, um, which he's very well capable of, and so is Tom Brady. But but I think it's better news for Godwin than it is for Mike Evans. Going to a little bit of the running backs, um, David Johnson. I think it's a good, good it's a bump for David Johnson. If you're a David Johnson owner, you have to be somewhat happy uh, because he completely lost his job. In Arizona, if he would have stayed there, his production would have been basically nothing, especially for the for the for the expectation of having David Johnson. But at Houston, he have a, he has a chance to kind of re, reinvigorate his his fantasy value. He'll he's there also with Duke Johnson, who they traded a third round pick for, unbelievably, and they let a thousand yard rusher walk. But uh, I digress. He has a chance to be productive again, and that's all you can ask for if you're a David Johnson owner because now you you just won't be able to trade him. Or you won't be able to trade him for value that you're you're hoping for or you expect again from David Johnson. Uh, for the Arizona running backs, it's also a great scenario. If you're a Kenyon Drake owner, you have to be ecstatic Bas- because he finished the season on fire. And so did Chase Edmonds, and I imagine they're going to do some type of split role. Um, but both of them were extremely productive in the offense, more productive than David Johnson. So you have to be very happy about that. And then if you're a Los Angeles Rams running back owner, you have to be pretty excited. I imagine they draft a guy, but if you're Daryl Henderson owner who drafted him in the rookie draft last year, or if you're Malcolm Brown owner, who's just been patiently waiting for Gurley's knee to give, uh, both have to be very excited. We'll see who they draft. There's more to come on that, but exciting times. If you were, if you were holding on to those guys, for this day. And then lastly, Hayden Hurst. Um, I think if you drafted him in a rookie draft, probably in the third-ish round, because he was a he was a first round pick, you were hoping for Mark Edwards, excuse me, Mark Andrew um production. And you thought he would be the Mark Andrew, and you thought Mark Andrew would be the Hayden Hurst, because Mark Andrew was actually drafted later. But that hasn't turned out that way. So you're probably Pretty disappointing, especially watching Mark Mark Andrews flourish. But now he gets a chance to go to an offense that he's obviously surrounded by talent. First round picks, everybody else as well. So he has a chance to finally be that guy that maybe you thought he was going to be when you drafted him in rookie drafts. So um, so yeah, that's my kind of my recap of the offseason thus far. The fantasy relevance for the guys that I think are interesting or signings that are interesting. If I forgot somebody. Message me. I can talk about them on Monday. If you disagree or agree with my winners and losers of the offseason thus far, also message me. Talk about it. I'm not, I'm not shy to converse or discuss these picks and why I think these ways. Um, and maybe you convince me I'm wrong. Maybe. And I can always talk about it on a future episode. So tell me what you think. Also, in the meantime, on Monday, 
we're going to review Tiger King. I'm in a group chat with my friends back home and they keep messaging about it. I'm trying to ignore it as much as possible. But everything I see, little snippets, news articles here and there, it's supposed to be absolutely absurd. So good way to spend your weekend. Again, we're going to recap episode one through four on Monday and then probably five, six, seven, maybe on Friday. So enjoy Tiger King. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Until Monday, stay safe and ciao, cacao. I'm wasting my life pursuing my dreams. Running and running, stuck in a wheel. Running and running, falling down hard. my skin breaking my heart bleeding and hurting this part of the game nursing the fire fueling the flame I cannot stop Thank you for listening to the podcast, He Has a Bird, with Sean Shelton. Sean is the best. He's a superstar.